This is Sound and Vision from KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Nearly 50 years ago, the Seattle-area band Lavender Country released what's considered to be the first openly gay country album, with song titles like Back in the Closet Again and this one. Crying these cocksucking tears. Then this year, Lavender Country released their first follow-up record, and they're about to perform at Fisherman's Village Music Festival in Everett on Saturday, May 21st. Here to talk about the band's story is Patrick Haggerty. Welcome. Hi. Good to hear from you. So your first album was released, you know, a few years after the Stonewall protests and gay rights issues were starting to be discussed more. Can you tell me more what was happening within your circle around this time when the first Lavender Country album was released in the early 70s? Talk about what's happening in terms of gay rights that you were involved in or just social issues in general. Well, Vietnam was still going on. There was a big upsurge in the anti-war movement. And uh, the 60s civil rights movement and the women's movement and the anti-war movement were the backdrop for, uh, I think, what created the social conditions for Stonewall. I think that's important because we were standing on the shoulders of those other civil rights protests. Things looked a lot different for LGBTQ people when Stonewall happened than they do now. For example, in 1966, I was kicked out of the American Peace Corps for um, inappropriate behavior with men, (laughs) I think was the, what got written down on the paper. But yeah, I was kicked out of the Peace Corps for being gay. And what year was this that you got kicked out of the Peace Corps? 1966. And uh, I'm being escorted to Washington, D.C. to be processed out of the Peace Corps for being gay. And I'm talking to the head psychiatrist of the American Peace Corps at this time. We're talking about an MD, PhD, psychiatrist guy, right? And this was his headspace. He said, how many brothers do you have? And I said, seven. Yeah, because aren't you one of (laughs) ten? Yeah, I've come from a big family. He said, how many bedrooms were there in your house? And I said, three. And he said, you had seven brothers and only three bedrooms? And I said, yeah. And he said, where did you sleep? And I said, I slept with my brothers, you idiot. (laughs) And he said, that's why you're gay. What? Ph.D. psychiatrist, head of the psychology division, American Peace Corps, 1966, was convinced that the reason that I was gay was because I had to sleep with my brothers. Not only is it like totally ignorant regarding homosexuality, but the classism involved in the his diagnosis, 
like, does he really think that for the last 200,000 years of human history that almost all the, the men <laughs> for the last 200,000 years had their own bedrooms? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so it was a, a very classist and very ignorant statement, but he was the boss, and um, that was his rationale for kicking me out. That's crazy. I mean, when Lavender Country's first album was released, I mean, it's gotten so much more recognition, like, m many, many years later. And I understand when when the first Lavender Country album was released in the early 70s, you only issued a thousand copies. And a lot of people bought it through mail orders, through, like, you know, underground or gay newspapers. Like, it wasn't pushed out or had this big campaign around it. And then once everyone, you know, once a thousand albums were sold, you were done. It was like never to be seen again. So you thought at the time. And so I'm curious, what was the reception to that album back when it was first released? When I made Lavender Country, nobody saw me as an icon. And here's kind of why. If you were a Stonewall activist, the point of being an activist was to be out. And to be out meant to be visible. And to be visible meant to turn yourself into a beacon and talk loud and long and in every circle that you could and in every way that you could and just run your mouth continually in whatever venue or program you could. And that was the activity that all of us were involved in, not just me. Everybody who was doing the Stonewall movement was involved in some kind of way or another. We were all turning ourselves into beacons. So when I made Lavender Country, everybody around me was a beacon. So nobody saw me that way. People liked Lavender Country, they appreciated it, they had, we had fun with it. They respected me for it, but they didn't think that I was an icon because indeed we were all icons. Um, we played, I don't know, eight or 10 shows up and down the coast, mostly in the Seattle area, but we went to Portland, went to San, went to San Francisco once. But there was no um, commercial possibility for a Marxist gay country album in 1973. It wasn't commercially viable. And we knew that when we made it. We weren't stupid. Where my head was at was I can either go to Nashville and try and be in the closet and have a, a career in country music, or I can turn myself into a screaming Marxist bitch and make this album, and I chose the latter. But having a career as an out gay radical in country music in 1973 was absurd. Yeah. Completely absurd, like off the charts, like laughable. 
I mean, I just think about like where society has come in the past 50 years, you know, nearly 50 years since that first album was released. And and also just like the recognition that you're getting now. I mean, I hear there's there's there might be in the works of having a feature film written about your story. Um, There was a documentary that was aired at South by Southwest about your story. You know, I mean, when you first released the album in the early 70s, again, you did a few shows Lavender Country disbanded, you kind of went on with your life. And then the album got rediscovered and reissued in 2014. And this year, you released an entirely new record. And I'm curious how you would describe this new album compared to what you released in the early 70s. Uh, Well, there, there are some similarities. And there are some differences. The similarities are this. uh, Blackberry Roses has a lot of radical content. Blackberry Rose is country, like lavender country, and it has some gay content. The differences with Blackberry Rose and lavender country are the topical issues in Blackberry Rose have broadened out, and they include Songs about white supremacy. And the price her family paid for their silly lily whiteness was cheap for all the pride it would bring them. Songs about homosexual relationships in the Jim Crow era. Lunch counter for me, a lunch counter for you. Found for whites and another one too. But it came to nothing after we got through. When I came creeping to you. There's a lot of feminist material in the album, which is not explicitly gay, but it's certainly feminist. Tell him he's got to change the diapers. Tell him he's got to clean the can. Just to clarify, would you say Lavender Country, that like the themes on that record was mostly gay themes? Lavender Country is wholly and explicitly, openly gay. Every song. Yeah. And the song that really stuck out on me on this latest release is um, Sweet Shadow Man. The Andalusiana Juke, 1962, when we all knew where the Jim Crow flew and saw to me was a huge taboo, I came creeping to you. Can you just tell me a little bit more of the backstory behind that song or the story that you're telling in that song? Here's the thing about uh, Sweet Shadow Man. It's probably the most controversial song on Blackberry Rose, and it's also a song that's probably subject to the most misinterpretation. But this is where I was coming from. Yes, I did marry a black man. I've been married to him for 35 years. Before I married my husband, I have an adopted son who's a black Cuban, and I raised him. And uh, I did a lot of work in the black community, in the, particularly in the 80s. I ran for office 
on a black gay unity slate with three men from the nation of Islam in the late 80s, and I ran for office with them twice. And so um, what was going on in my mind when I wrote Blackberry Rose, the ballad, you may have heard it on the album. Ran on the high noontide, the noose crucified him for the love of his hillbilly rose. And uh, Sweet Shadow Man was, um, just because you're white, does that mean you're not supposed to write about this? Does that mean you're supposed to shut up? Does it mean you're supposed to get out there and say something, even though you're white, and etc.? So it's all very intimidating, right? Because mm-hmm. I am a white man, and uh, and I will always be a white man, and that means I will always be imbued with white privilege. So what to do? What I thought when I wrote Sweet Shadow Man was this. If you'll notice, nobody, to my knowledge, has ever written a poem about or a song about interracial gay relationships. Hmm. And so I decided to write about it, and I decided to write about it uh, from the point of view of a young white man in Louisiana in 1963 or two or whenever it was. And naturally, this kid had racist ideas, but he was still involved in a gay relationship with a black man. And that's that's what was going on with with gay people in Louisiana in nineteen sixty three. They were white and they were racist and they were still having interracial gay relationships. And so I went, Well, write about that. And that's where Sweet Shadow Man came from. That was my conversation with Patrick Haggerty of Lavender Country. Lavender Country will be performing at Fisherman's Village Music Festival in Everett Saturday, May 21st, and will play at the Drake in Tacoma on June 3rd. Here's their song, Sweet Shadow Man. We got to Louisiana Juke 1962 When we all knew where the Jim Crow flew And sodomy was a huge taboo I came creeping to you We had a downcast style on the back of the bus When we was on the down low hush But the midnight moon made my hot blood gush When I came creeping to you I came creeping to you Sunday morning when the sun came up, I was a white Baptist in prayer. 
counter for me, a lunch counter for you. Found for whites and another one too. But it came to nothing after we got through. When I came creeping to you. Can't you hear mama weep and wail? Daddy shotgun's got rock salt and nails. You shoot me dead. And shoot me too. If you knew I was creeping to you. If you knew I was creeping to you. Sweet shadow man, setting my loins on fire. Oh, sweet shadow man, fill me with your long sticks fire. On Saturday night when the sun went down, I was twitching like a bird on a wire. On Sunday morning when the sun came up, oh, it's a dirty, rotten, low-down liar. Dirty, rotten, low-down liar. Dirty, rotten, low-down liar. That was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and consider giving a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.